Podcast Network. I've been trying to compliment my friends more when they're looking good, like my dude friends. Right. Trying to, you've seen those memes that are like, "Well, I wish, I wish bros talked on each other's Instagram like girls do." Like Justin, you're a king, and oh my God, marry me, Ryan. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we talked with Craig on that Patreon episode about how uh, men don't talk to each other about their feelings and stuff. I'm, wor- I'm working on that too, but in the meantime, I'm at least complimenting my friends. Like when I see them post a picture, and uh, like they're, I did it for Peter Alfred Kern, lawyer uh, <laughs> extraordinaire. Esquire. Yeah, uh, is he an Esquire? I don't think he's Esquire. It is the, Esquire, right? It is Esquire. That's I, like they finished their name like that. Who's they? What do you mean they? Lawyers. The squires. Wait a minute, lawyers. That that That's es- how you know Esquire incident. means lawyer. I think so. Really. Oh my God! Do I know something you don't yeah. know? Yeah, Esquire. It's probably wrong then. Let's see. What does it mean? Hold on, my phone picks up that whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> the, that's the new. That's the new mag- magnets. How the fuck do they work? Esquire. What the fuck does it mean? I'm just getting the magazine. It's a courtesy title. A title appended to a lawyer's surname. But just courtesy. Yeah, it's not a real fucking shit. It's Throw not him a uh, yeah. bone. Yeah, man. Peter S- deserves a bone. Sure, and he and he also he's he's looking really good these days. He lost a bunch of weight on a Wee Fit diet that he invented. <laughs> on a what? He's so weird. He's so weird. He just like he said he was gonna do like a a series on it or a podcast or YouTube. I don't know what happened. Or no, no Wii, he, as he, a Nintendo. As a Nintendo Wii, he just exercised on the Wii every day and he lost a bunch of weight. He was supposed to do an Instagram. I think that, I don't know if he actually ever did it or not. Uh, but like I saw a picture of him at the beach and I was like, "Bro, just wanted to let you know you're looking good." But. I texted that to him. I didn't comment it in a public forum. So maybe that's, mm. that's a small step. Baby steps. I saw another friend, also another humor you friend. Same thing. Like he posted a picture and he's looking really good. And I was like, Steven, just you looking good, dude. And he said, and everyone, everyone's very appreciative. Everyone yeah. really likes it. So uh, I think we should all, we should all compliment our Kings a lot more. <laughs> I was just scrolling through Instagram. Like I want to fuck all these women. So it's kind of the same thing. Very, um, similar vibe. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever take a year off from sex. It's uh, it's hard. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're listening to Mormon and the Meth Head. If you put a Mormon and a Meth Head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron Woodall and Jessica Reed are friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. Mostly taking. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Do you know what's his name? Remy? 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 The guy, he's got a show on Hulu called. Rami, I didn't watch it, but I, anyway, he also has a stand-up special on Hulu, and he, I saw this clip, this joke they kept playing that was really good. That was just like you can't, you can't like uh, a hot like a, a girl's content after 10 p.m. <laughs> like, 
you just be a good guy be a good guy and wait for the morning and see if you still like <laughs> he's like you know on, on partic- even if it's really good you just can't do it you gotta wait you gotta wait until the a.m and then you be like this is good content thank you very much <laughs> but otherwise like i i've been there like just late at night i've i like like too many posts <laughs> i do it is I that because you're high yeah when i'm high I'm, I'm i'm handing out likes like crazy just like yeah i saw that meme the other day about because i hand out the love reacts not that facebook is still a thing but the option of giving love over something else i love a shit ton of posts Mm -hmm. and i like if i know you and you have a post i pretty much like it i have a really hard time like well they they posted this it's important i i just want to go with what my gut tells me, you yeah. know, and now I have to overthink everything because everybody's so fucking sensitive about getting blue likes. It's just, it used to be all we had, like, and everyone was fine <laughs> with it. And you had blue <laughs> likes forever and you were fine. This is what I'll tell my kids about. And yeah, my day. <laughs> we didn't have 53 different reactions. We just had one blue like. That was it. That's all we had. Uh, but I guess you could thumbs down. Did, could you thumb? I can't even remember now. Could you thumbs down things? No, Reddit. You just yeah, just Reddit. So you could you just like things. That's it, and comment on it. But I just I like I like it. I, you're gonna have to. <laughs> we you interview <laughs> people and we have to be like, hey, you have to speak directly into the mic. Je- Jessa's ten feet away from the microphone, <laughs> rustling through a bag of water bottles. I just don't know why you don't ever do this before we start. You, you have a plate. She has a, 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 a dish full of empty water bottles, like a bouquet of water bottles. And, no water. But like sometimes Jessica gets up from the table. Or one, maybe I do it sometimes. You've got to get up and, and, and walk away. because I've spilled the water. Something, you got to get something. But uh, we never really <laughs> talk. We're usually letting like, the other person talk for a second and we'll come back. Uh, without being missed, but when you're just like <laughs> shouting, <laughs> did we already say Mormon and the Method? <laughs> That's where we're gonna put the song in. <laughs> we'll do it a second time. Uh, <laughs> I really gonna do it. <sighs> I feel weird. How weird? I don't know. What kind of weird? I felt weird all day. I felt dumb. Like all the episodes that we recorded, I felt stupid and inarticulate. And now I am. I thought you just said a few minutes ago, you were like, I'm feeling way better now. I know. Yeah. Weird compared to earlier when I was so much less cool. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Buckle up, folks. Let's talk about drugs. Okay. I've tried a new one. So I did. So first of all, I did breathing. I did breathing, and that like I did breath work is yeah, what I was it's called. Say, did you breathe? I did. I've done. <laughs> have you guys tried breathing? It's crazy. Uh, but you, like, I went to Craig. You guys know Craig Salazar from Energy Is Love podcast. Uh, he had a meeting for for men. You can hear about this on our Patreon. We he, he came and talked to us about it, uh, but meeting for men to talk about their feelings right you know to say hey like so we can get better at complimenting each other on instagram you know uh and we he starts the meeting off with just i don't think you can call it breath work he's just like everybody take 
10 breaths is like what we're doing but they were like deep breaths and uh i got high off just breathing and weed uh <laughs> i was gonna say <laughs> is it, i gotta be honest like i the, the weed probably helped me and danny who you guys know from searstone club this is just like cool we all just hanging all of our podcast guests hanging out in real life me and danny went to this meeting and we we're a little apprehensive about it you know we're a little nervous we're gonna we don't know what to expect and we just figured We'd be more relaxed if we took a couple of hits off the weed pen before we went inside. So we'd smoke a little bit of weed, but like I'm just saying, the weed pen doesn't affect me that much. It is a whatever. I don't. I didn't feel, but I'm sure it helped a little bit. They were just sitting in chairs and we're taking in deep breaths and like I'm f- like filling up my. So you're supposed to like push your belly out. Like we're taking a deep belly breath and just like hold it, hold it, hold it. And then, like, I started realizing that, like, my head was kind of swaying the longer I held it. And, like, I was, uh, my head's kind of swimming, you know? And then I was like, fuck, I need to release this breath. I let it out. And something like, and it was like a good sensation to let it all out. And then I, I did it again and I like held it even longer. And I just, I started to get a high from doing it. And I loved it. It was like, it wasn't like a crazy high, but it was like so chill, bro. <laughs> just chill, bro. Now I feel in like great space to share my feelings. So, you know, it worked. But then the other thing I tried is a drug you've never even done, Jessa. I know, what the fuck? Uh Uh-huh. Students becoming the master, Jessa. I did synthetic mushrooms. Like mushrooms made in a lab in Canada. And they were mailed to me by a fan, who I won't mention by name uh, or initials. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But... uh, yeah, he he knows who he is. He sent me these synthetic mushrooms. He sent me like a web page too to ex- that explained it all and stuff. And it's like mushrooms, but it's also like DMT, and it's also like acid. It's kind of like th- this hybrid feeling, you know. Uh, now I've done m- mushrooms before. I haven't had a ton of great experiences on them. The only time that I felt like I really got hot, that I really tripped on mushrooms, was in Portland with you and our friend. And even then, that wasn't crazy, but it was the you know a little trippy. And I had another fan who mailed me actual mushrooms during the breakup to help me get through it. And I should have just she gave me a big dose and I split it up into two things. And I should have just I should have just eaten all of them because it was like I just didn't get. I just got it kind of high and like anxious. I never tripped. I never got to that like cool mushroom part, you know? Yeah. I just stayed awake. <laughs> That's it. And uh, I was kind of nervous to take the synthetic mushrooms. I didn't know what. Because, I don't know. Like, the, my last mushroom trip wasn't that great. And what if this isn't that great or whatever. But first of all, so much easier to ingest. Real mushrooms make me gag like a little bitch. I'm like, oh, okay. They're so gross. I cannot. Ugh. You remember the first time yeah. you. We, Why were we pouring it out of the capsules? Because you guys, you had planned on this trip without me in mind. You guys didn't know me yet. Right. It was just the two of you were going to trip on mushrooms. And now there's three of us. So you're we trying to divvy up 
these capsules that were meant for two people into three. So we like, so everybody got some, you know? Yeah. And so you're pouring the powder, the ground up powder out of the capsule into my mouth. And I was, yeah, I was <laughs> <laughs> why does it taste so bad? I can just eat them, which is weird. Cause I'm very picky. It's so gross to me. I can't thinking about it right now. makes me a little nauseous, you know? Uh, but the, the um, synthetic mushrooms were also in like a little capsule. He said, just pour it into water. Make sure you like rinse out the capsule to get all of the powder out and just down it. It's going to taste bad, just so you know. It's going to taste bad. And it's this tiny little thing. And I think, how bad could that taste in a full glass of water? It does taste bad. It does bad. It does. But it, just, it does it, bad. It does bad. <laughs> uh, but like I just drank something else afterwards, you know, or, or ate something and it was it was fine. Right. Now, the takeoff was almost instant. Like standing there in my kitchen, I was like, am I already high? Like I feel weird already. And I was fully dressed because I thought it was a nice, beautiful day. And I thought I was I would go outside on mushrooms because everyone says you're supposed to be in nature on yeah. mushrooms. And I've never been outside on mushrooms. We went outside in Portland, but we were in a city walking around yeah. and it was weird. It didn't, not the same as being in nature. I thought I'll go outside. I never made it. I got underneath my weighted blanket and just stayed there for three hours with my shoes on. Like <laughs> Kept the shoes on, uh, everything. And... The takeoff was so smooth. You know how on mushrooms you're like a little nauseous first. Mm-hmm. There's like like that night in Portland, you guys had warned me like you'll feel nauseous, you'll get through it, and I was I was nauseous until I started seeing things and it was fun. This was no nausea, just you got you got straight there, and then it oh it was amazing. the The whole trip was was just was fantastic. It was. so so cool um and and like and then there was no like hangover afterwards i know hangover is not the right term to use but you know your body just doesn't always feel great after you do drugs like you just feel tired or you feel groggy or sick or maybe nauseous or just like ugly or fat or something you know you feel this was like i was ready for to let's go do something when the trip was done it was I felt just like great. I felt very clean. I felt felt good. But the actual trip, man, the actual trip was a lot of just like me keeping my eyes closed and just seeing stuff, you know, repeating patterns and crazy things. And I I felt like I was just inside my own brain and there was a lot of space. Like, and it was like a huge 3D space. And I could like see space between my thoughts. Very cool sensation. Um, I was very horny the whole time, like <laughs> not like horny, like I couldn't have had sex, I don't think, but like all the images I was seeing were all vaguely sensual, a lot of women's bodies, uh, and it was just kind of, I don't know, I don't know why I was, was horny the whole time. <laughs> uh, I had this weird, this weird thing happen, this weird thing that I called the stillness. <laughs> And let's, I don't even, I, I feel, I tried to articulate it to you once already. Uh, now I've kind of forgotten how I did that. So hopefully. Something about your butt. No, that was, that was, <laughs> I told you that today. That's not, I didn't tell you that the first time. The stillness was like, 
you know how everything's kind of warbly on uh, on mushrooms, like wobbly and yeah. just w- like warped and breathing. And, yeah, breathing. Move. There's like there's movement. Like everything you're seeing behind your eyelids is moving. It's just like constantly moving, and. You're not really, I wasn't really aware of it, but I, like, my whole body felt like it was moving, even though I was lying still. I was lying still, but it felt like I was moving, and I was never aware of that until the stillness showed up, which was like, all of the sudden, all the movement just stopped, and I felt still, and it was euphoric, like, almost orgasmic to just stop like that. And then it, and then I would go, whoa, and then everything would start moving again. Wow. And I had no, I couldn't control it. And I, but I remember thinking, I hope that happens again because I got, it was involuntary. I didn't make it happen. Right. It just happened. But like when it would happen, I would try to catch it. I would try to hold on to it. Like, can I make myself stay still a couple of times, a stillness, uh, followed immediately after an, a stillness. So it was like, and I felt like that, like, like I was catching it, but I was never in control of it. Uh, but you're, yes, you are correct. The the stillness did seem to emanate from my butt. Like it was like a, like a <laughs> stick, a stick up my back, you know, for, like, and it, that, that part felt like sexy, like sexual, not sexy, but like se- there was something sensual into that like stopping thing. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And I couldn't like control it. I couldn't get a hold on it. It would just come whenever it did. It would just happen on its own. I would just be, my mind would be off onto something else. I'm like looking at all these shapes in my head and watching these colors and stuff. And then suddenly I'd be like, Oh, you know, and it feels like, uh, like coming almost like, but like prostate coming, you know, yeah. like, uh, and it was so fucking rad. I loved, I loved that. Uh, I re- do you remember that th- I repeated this thing out loud over and over and over again. It was like poem. And uh, it was this. I said, too much aloneness is too much canvas. I won't know what to do with it. And it will stare at me. I said that over and over and over again because it was like it started. I I had that thought early on in the trip and I thought I need to remember this. I want to remember this. So I said it out loud and then I kept saying it out loud for three hours. I just kept those the only words that I would say out loud and I would say too much aloneness is too much canvas. I won't know what to do with it. And it will stare at me. And. What do you think it means? I think what I was trying, what I was trying to articulate was. Like how bad I am at making decisions by myself sometimes. Like just when, when I, when I, when I can choose out of anything, like when I have, I could do anything today. Right. And then I just, I'm paralyzed by fear of choice. Like I'm like, I, you know. Sometimes it's a lot easier to have another person tell me what to do or to limit my choices somehow. Just like I like sometimes I like having other people around to dictate what I do because when I'm alone, that means it's all up to me and like I could do anything. But then that to me just feels like a giant, huge human. I was I was envisioning this giant white canvas looking down at me. 
and it was like up to me to paint it, but I don't know where to start and I don't know how to begin. And so then this thing just looms over me and it becomes anxiety. Like it's not, doesn't feel like freedom. It feels uh, like a prison and it just stares at me. And like, I have the pressure of trying to, I have to figure out how to, to fill this canvas up and I don't know where to start. And uh, I think it sums up a lot of like how I feel about decisions in general, but like, I just love how it felt like a poem. Uh, And yeah. And I just kept, I kept thinking about that over and over and over again. At one point I'd get up out of the bed because I have to pee. And dude, was I so fucked up. I couldn't <laughs> like I'm staggering to the bathroom, just staggering. Can't walk straight to the bathroom. Um, when I come back to the bed, I'm look, I spend some time looking at my carpet and my carpet is shimmering and moving. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and I tell myself I'm not going to look in the mirror. Like I don't want to look at myself. I don't want to look at myself. And then I'm like, ah, let's just look at myself. I just want to see. And I started staring at myself. I'm pretty sure I said the same thing over and over again. Uh, but I did that another weird thing. I, I, I banged my head against the mirror. It's like a mirror on my closet door. Mm-hmm. And I was just staring at myself for a long time. And I started just slamming my, not slam, like I didn't like do it hard enough to break the mirror, obviously, but I was hitting it kind of forcefully on the mirror and I'm not sure why. I think I felt like some amount of anger or, or, or something, but I wasn't like mad at any particular thing or feeling. I wasn't feeling super depressed or anything like or, or, or self-hating. I was having a good trip, but I was hitting my head against the mirror. Uh, and I'm not sure why. Like, Interesting. To feel something. I don't know. Like I just did it once and then I was like, I'll just repeat this for a while. And then I got back under the covers and just it kept kept the trip going and just kept thinking about stuff. I spent a, I, I cried. I cried about Tabitha uh, under the blanket. I just thought I just thought about how sad I was about uh, Tabitha and everything. And I cried for for a little bit. But there's a, and then and then it just like wore off and it was like Poof, done. And I looked at the clock and it only been a few hours. I was like, wow, it's fucking intense. Wow. Few hours, man. I want to try that. Dude, you should. You should. I've he gave me a second dose that's smaller. Mhm. And I've been dying to try it. I've been or to to do it again. I've been but I just haven't had the right time to do it. But I really am excited. And if it's not like crazy, I still have the second half that dose of real mushrooms, you know, yeah. But like when I'm peaking, I feel like I can then like eat that little bit and maybe ride it a little bit higher. Uh, but I wonder what poetry I'll come up with. Yeah, no shit. Have you, what have you tried? I tried DMT and we didn't talk about it or I glossed over it, I think. But yeah. A fan, I don't know if she wants me to say her name, sent DMT. And a crack I, pipe. She sent so much cool shit. She sent like st- the crystals that I used when I started doing tarot. She had sent crystals in the box. And before I bought and procured crystals, I was using the crystals she sent. Anyway, I really appreciate it. NB. So, um, <laughs> this turns Get out to dumb be. fucking pen pal. <laughs> <laughs> signing. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. 
Um, this turns out to be. She a doesn't crazy listen story. to the podcast. She by doesn't. Right. No. no. Okay. Tight. Just uh, CB. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He was involved as well, I believe. Anyway. Um, first time I do DMT is we've talked about the night where we did Molly and I talked to the aliens while you recorded eight hours of podcast. And we had some dramatic experiences, dramatic relationship experiences that night. And there came a point I was getting into reality transurfing and wanting to jump dimensions. And the, the aliens had said something that night about the DMT is here for jumping timelines or the DMT has something to do with the timelines. And so I'm upset. I'm sad. We've been up for 24 hours on psychedelics and I'm like, I'm going to try DMT right now. And my intention that I set before I did the DMT was to take me to somewhere where I don't feel like this. And I was trying to escape the pain of the relationship and you sat next to me while I did the DMT and it was actually very overwhelming. It was just a wall full of Hello Kitties. It didn't communicate with me, but I knew I was in a rest stop bathroom and I don't know how to articulate how I knew that. I could just like, I could see the rest stop bathroom through the Hello Kitties. It's hard to explain. I knew I was physically sitting in a rest stop bathroom. So and it's a gas station rest stop, but you know, like on a long trip and I felt like I'd been there before. So I wake up and you're next to me and I don't feel like I've gone anywhere. And I'm like, I don't get that drug at all. That's weird. But I also haven't slept and I'm still sad. So whatever. The next time I do DMT, you and I have just recorded a very triggering podcast and we, we finish the podcast and I start crying. And then I just quickly say, I want to do DMT and I pull it down exact same intention in my head. I'm like, take me to the place where I'm not. At the time, I was just like, I want to not be in love because I don't want to be in this pain. I don't want to feel like this anymore. Take me to the place where I'm free from this, I think, was the was the intention. I go to this goddamn rest stop bathroom again with the fucking Hello Kitties everywhere. And they don't talk. Like, they feel like they're in entities, but they won't say anything to me. So I'm just in this space, and I'm like, why am I in a rest stop bathroom? Is something going to happen to me in a rest stop bathroom? And why don't you talk? Like, everybody says you guys talk, you don't fucking talk. They're just, like, like looking at me, and they feel like they're kind of mocking me. And so I wake up, and you're sitting next to me again. And... I think I did it one more time after that and you're sitting next to me again. So then we break up and I am like a week into the breakup and I'm just fucking beside myself. I'm just, I'm, I'm like, like drug withdrawal. I'm just can't get out of bed. I just cry all fucking day. Nothing makes me feel better. And something tells me to do DMT and I do the DMT and this time I'm in the fucking rest stop bathroom, but the Hello Kitties are talking and they say, when you wake up, he's not going to be sitting there. And I realize I've never had this experience of DMT. I've never gone to this place without you being next to me when I wake up. When they say that, I'm like, oh, fuck. And they're like, when you wake up, he's not going to be there and it's going to hurt really bad. But this is the beginning of you getting off of you starting this timeline by yourself, you starting this story by yourself. 
and then they're very nice this time. They're like, if you're going to open your eyes now, you're going to look over. He's not going to be there and it's going to be painful, but it's going to be okay. And I open my eyes and you're not in the chair. And it's so fucking traumatic in that moment. Like, I feel like I'm just realizing the breakup for the very first time. It's so fucking awful. And I close my eyes again and they're like, it's going to be okay. You're going to open your eyes. It's going to be okay. You're going to get used to it. You're going to look over one day and it's that chair is going to be empty and it's going to be all right. And so I open my eyes again. And I just sob and sob and sob. So the same time the next day I do it again. And this time they're like, it's going to be easier this time. It's still going to hurt, but you do DMT at the same time Was the time. Yeah, it was important? weird. I noticed I was doing DMT at three o'clock around three. I like ended up with these like very sad schedules every day of what my <laughs> life was doing. It was like, you know, jerk Jerking off, cry, off. <laughs> uh, DMT cry. So I do it again, open my eyes, and it is a little bit easier that you're not there. And like by the third or fourth time I do it, I like look at the chair and it doesn't have an emotional effect on me, you know, and I'm just like, okay, this does feel like I'm jumping some sort of timeline. And I still don't understand the rest stop bathroom, but the rest stop bathroom has been so consistent that I'm like, this is just I apparently how I do DMT. And you're not thinking about it anymore. No, yeah. it had. After the second or third time, I'm like, this is just fucking weird. I did kind of think, like, maybe this is something's going to happen to me one day in a rest stop bathroom. And when I get into the bathroom, I'll be like, oh, fuck, get out of this bathroom or something. So I think I do DMT for this whole week. And then uh, a month later, I find out I'm codependent while on a road trip. And uh, the thing about begging to get off of the timeline with you and the breakup itself, the, you know, I wanted to have a long stretch of time apart. I have kind of thrashed around like an animal in a cage for the last two years with you because I'm like, maybe if you come closer, I'll feel better. And I don't feel better. Maybe if you go further away, I'll feel better. And then I don't feel better. Like nothing made, nothing made it stop. I fell in love and then I got codependently activated and the codependency was excruciating and nothing made it feel better. If you came closer, it didn't feel better. You being far away made it worse, maybe. And I was worse. All the things that I, I hated about myself were worse when you, with you gone. And I wanted off this motherfucking timeline. And so... I have this take me home to the hello kitties <laughs> take me to the rest stop bathroom so I'm on this road trip and this is the one week where we don't talk at all and we barely talked we had a couple conversations or fights or whatever during the six weeks but but even like a conversations, work email fights who knows even like a work email would like take the edge off of it a little bit and what I didn't know is I was staring down the barrel of a hardcore abandonment fear but the week that we didn't talk was maybe the worst week of my life. It was, it, I had an anxiety Jessa, attack. Jessa, you've died. I know. <laughs> you've been is, poisoned <laughs> until you died. Yeah, the thing is, without your feelings, it's a completely different experience. So it wasn't just that we broke up. It wasn't the breakup. It was everything that you triggered and everything that you mirrored and everything that I was like balls out activated in in this fear of abandonment and codependency and didn't know it. So 
I had an anxiety attack that I couldn't stand up. I had like a 12 hour long anxiety attack and I couldn't stand up. I didn't even know what it was. And I'm like stuck at my aunt's house and I'm surrounded by boomers and nobody wants to, you know, hear about it. And so I'm just compulsively watching tarot videos. Anyway, I end up finding out that I'm codependent. And the next day we're driving home through the tarot videos, through the tarot videos is how I found out I was codependent. And then I downloaded a book on codependency and I'm reading this book and it's a lot of feelings. It's, it's awful shame, like awful shame and guilt, but also the keys to this fucking prison I've been living in. And cause I didn't know what the fuck the problem is. I spent so much time like curled up on the floor reading books about everything that I could find that, that match the description of what I was feeling. That's how I found out about subpersonalities. That's how I found out about anxious attachment. Like this was me trying to get out of this fucking prison, but codependency explained it. That was the key. That was the key. And we're driving home and I'm in the back seat of the car and my mom and uncle are in the front seat and my kids are on either side of me and I want to cry so bad because I'm just like so much, so many feelings, so much stuff. This is really when the duffel bag shows up, like the true, all the other crying over the course of the month or two before that was all this like repressed emotion, confusing stuff. This is when the duffel bag shows up. This is when this is who you are shows up. Here's your shadow. Meet your shadow. Every like, cause it's the opposite of everything I knew about myself. And I am just want to cry. And so we stop at a gas station and I, it's, you know, rest stop gas station though, or it was like travel mart or whatever. And I run in the bathroom, I lock myself in and I just fall apart and I'm just bawling my eyes out. And then I look up and I'm in the rest stop gas station. I'm in the spot that I was in all of those DMT trips. And suddenly I was like, Oh, I just kept telling them to take me to the place where I don't feel like this anymore. The place where I'm free, I think is what I would say something along those lines. And they were just like, it was like a time stamp or something. It was just like, this is it. This is the day that you get free. And so they couldn't make me be free because I had to go through the process, but they could show me like the moment when it was the beginning of being free. And I wouldn't say I, am I'm pretty free I mean I'm in excruciating pain still but it's like I like I know what the problem is I I'm someone that if you just tell if I know what the fucking problem is I'll figure out how to solve it yo also yeah <laughs> <laughs> I heard you um I know I was like in the middle I was gonna say something else and then I was like I I had no choice but to say yeah. yo I'll solve it <laughs> I stopped my tracks I was gonna say how comforting uh that must be like to that's a sad moment it's a sad moment that you're crying and you're you probably feel like oh everything's falling apart uh everything's getting worse but your hello kitty guides um were like they already let you know that like like you know it's like they could have they could have taken you to the place where you actually felt better right yeah but uh, it's nice that they let you know, like, hey, this is actually a good thing. Yeah. This is it. This is what you asked for, right? And they told you in a way that, like, when you were there at this low, low point, and before you had to get back into a car with your mom and uncle and two kids, you were given, like, this little bit of hope, like, hey, you know, this is what you asked for. This is it. This is going to be okay. Yeah, it was... Um, I wonder if I would have known... 
there was so much guilt and shame that day as I'm just reading all of these things that were, I knew that, that it wasn't your fault. Like I knew that because I had already tried that on at one point and it didn't fit. You know, I had taken at one point, cause it's so much easier to just hate the person. It's just so much easier to be like, you're a piece of shit and now I'm free. And I wish, man, I, I haven't found that to be easy at all. <laughs> Uh, but keep going. Keep Those going. have been my past breakup experiences is just to be like, but I, you know, um, one of them was a genuinely bad person that I was getting away from. And a couple of them, I guess, were, you know. Sure. It feels great to hate your ex. But if you tried blaming yourself instead, <laughs> uh, that's what I do, baby. It's. I don't know. I felt like I blamed myself the whole time i don't know i just wanted to stop feeling that way and i was like if you're a bad guy then then i won't feel this way anymore there's like i was tricked or whatever and then you know i tried that on for a minute it didn't fit nothing made it stop and finding this out it had all these explanations you know that it was like active addiction and so for that part i was like oh my god i'm gonna be fucking free you know i can figure this out i can just recover from this but then having to think about all of the times that I made my codependency your problem was very difficult. And there was a lot of guilt and shame. And I wonder if I hadn't had the bathroom confirmation, if I would have known that this is still the beginning of you getting free, you know, because it felt that was very comforting to realize like oh this is the big turning point i think i sent you a text and was like oh my god i'm in the fucking rest stop bathroom right now on the week that we weren't talking you sent a text no we were talking again by the 20 i like realized i was codependent we talked the next day and then i drove home how are you feeling about codependency now i did i i would love to hear your thoughts well i know your thoughts already I'd love to hear you share your thoughts with everyone else about the episode that you released and uh, like what it's been like uh, since then. The episode that I did with you, because I had done one on Soberish where I was able to get very honest because I was by myself. And then I tried to do that with you. And in my head, you were criticizing me and mad at me and so mean to me during the episode and i'm so glad it happened that way cool (laughs) i mean i'm glad it happened that way because then when i went back to edit the episode because then i didn't want to put the episode out and but we had just talked about how many episodes we didn't put out because i didn't want to look weak or whatever and all of the episodes that we didn't release about where I looked like they were all about you. Like they were all attempts to talk about the relationship in which I would get, uh, crazy. And then I wouldn't want to release them and I would feel persecuted in them. The episodes were about me that we didn't release. Is that what you're saying? You mean like the reason you didn't want to release it was because of me. They were, they were about us. Okay. Most of the episodes that we did that I got vulnerable and, was the one crying were episodes about us, I think, if I remember correctly. Okay. And in those episodes, though, my perception was always that you were mean to me on the episode. Like, in my head, 
was like that the episode went south because you were mean to me. They all had crazy abrupt endings like this one did, like Codependable did. And when I went back to edit it, I was just going to put it out no matter what. But when I went back to edit it, I was struck by how not mean you were to me in that episode. The only thing you really held my feet to the fire, is that a spe- figure speech? Yeah, hold your feet to Okay, was stuff about my marriage. And this was later something I figured out that like, oh, yeah. I my perception of that my perception of my marriage yeah. was that it was so great because I wasn't activated. That's like why that one like he must have made me feel safe because I wasn't activated and you must not make me feel safe. It's your problem because I'm activated and then it's like, "Oh, or I you know, am vulnerable and don't know how to be vulnerable." Yeah, I remember like you you talked about the codependency with me. I remember I, I yeah, I asked you something about like to apply that. Do you think that that applied at all to your marriage or something like that? Yeah, and then you did you yeah. did a little bit say, you know, that, that I compared those two relationships and talked like he made me feel safe and you didn't. I just was like I can't be codependent because in my marriage I could leave for a week and never talk to him and be fine, but if I'm not in constant contact with you, I feel I'm afraid I'm terrified. Right. And so I made that your problem and I didn't ever measure like, okay, well I wasn't vulnerable. Like it's, it's stated facts that I was not vulnerable and now maybe not even in love in that marriage. Like it was something else. It was some other thing, but, and I didn't always blame you. Like I did, there was a lot of time where I was like, there's something fucking wrong with me, but I made it your problem either way. I knew that there was something wrong with how much attention I needed, but it didn't stop me from making it your problem. And there were a lot of times on the podcast where this subject would come up and the second we're talking about my feelings, I feel mocked by you. I feel criticized by you. And I have learned a lot about the feeling that comes as soon as I say something vulnerable, then I feel the crushing weight of shame. And then it doesn't really matter what your reaction is. It's going to be seen through that filter is one of the things that I've learned. And I used to do a thing where I would say something vulnerable to you. And then, cause we are very energetically connected. We pick up on each other's energy pretty easy. And I would say something to you vulnerable. And then I would lock up so hard, like, like physically and just wait for whatever your reaction was because I'm terrified of saying something vulnerable and then I'm sure you felt that I'm sure you felt the amount of pressure yeah. on every single time I said I love you and then and then I would feel a tension from you a space tension from you that I would take offense to I would take as rejection and the more I started to understand about codependency, I saw some traits in you where you also have a hard time saying or doing things that would hurt somebody else's feelings. And you also prioritize other people's feelings over yours. And I don't know what it was that made it click, but then I realized that that tension that I feel is you worrying about my feelings and then picking my feelings over your boundaries and over what 
was in your best interest. And I would still, I would get freaked out by that feeling. Like I would perceive that feeling to be rejection when in reality it was just, I said something and then brought a level of intensity and pressure to it and then put you at like a crossroad, you know, instead of just like floating something flirty or whatever and just letting it be like, I brought this intensity every single time because I was terrified and I already felt ashamed and I already felt embarrassed. And I was just having these like huge emotional reactions to tiny things and then just bringing that to you every single time. And it, 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 it was kind of didn't matter how you reacted because you either wouldn't say something, you wouldn't say something back and then that would trigger me or you would say it back. But I would feel I would feel the anxiety that came with it. And the anxiety was because sometimes you were saying something you didn't want to say, or sometimes you felt, I'm assuming, the intensity with which I brought something. That's interesting that you would say that, because, like, well, I in the book Psychopath Free that we've been we've been talking about, everyone should read. If you feel like you've been in a toxic relationship, or you're trying to recover from like a bad relationship, or you're just afraid, maybe you're in one read psychopath free it is it's really good but um it talks a lot about like uh your good qualities and how they can be exploited by bad people and how that can make things you know way worse and like it is a good quality that i like about myself that i put other people's feelings that I prioritize them because like, like I care about other people. I right. care about their feelings and that makes me, I think a good person, but I do, I don't think I should be prioritizing them as much as I do like above my own. And that's what I'm working on. Right. Yeah. But, um, if you're in a relationship with a psychopath or a narcissist or whatever, like a bad person, they can destroy your boundaries. They can erase your boundaries that you had. I also, he also says you probably, that a lot of these, you people don't have boundaries before <laughs> and that's, that's part of the problem and that's yeah. why you're easy prey for, uh, these kind of people. But I think like, you know, I was young and yeah, it makes sense. I didn't know what boundaries really were, whatever. But, uh, there's like a big, we, you and I talked about it before I was reading this book. I said, uh, like, I think a problem in our uh, like I could have done a better job setting clearer boundaries and you could have done a better job respecting the boundaries that, that I did set. Right. But I definitely was um, picking you over me all the time. Yeah. All the time. I was like feel uncomfortable, but like I don't want I, – because I care about you. I care about you and I wanted to – I wanted to I – don't, I don't like it when you feel bad. You know, yeah. There's there were lots of times when you'd make me mad, or like I'd be mad at something, and I just swallow it down and just give you an answer that I felt like you know you needed. Like you don't, like she doesn't need me to be mad at her right now. Like I don't think it's going to accomplish anything. I don't think it's going to do anything. I'd rather her feel comforted and loved and wanted, and I would try to do that. And you know, it wouldn't. It would rarely work. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we feel all this tension and yeah. stuff. Anyway, go on. 
I got into like childhood stuff and getting shamed and, and mocked, like literally mocked for expressing a feeling or vulnerability as a kid and kind of unpacked that a little bit. And I'm, I'm not feeling that quite so intensely. I wouldn't say it wasn't, it's not just with me. I, I, uh, I know it's very sense, like you're very aware of it, acutely aware of it with me, but I also have been there where you've taken offense to nothing from someone else, just like a stranger or a passerby or an audience or something. And uh, I've had to be like, that person was not mean to you. You know, you're, you're reacting like they were just so rude to you and it wasn't anything, but it's like you, you get, it's, it's, you just get it twisted. When you get I'm, so distorted, you get real embarrassed. You feel like, uh, you know, like yeah, I've seen you react like so strongly to just nothing at all, and uh, I've had to been like, like they didn't that that person likes you, like they didn't. It's fine. It's okay. Like I would think that they were mad at me. Yeah, or that they were like mocking you. Like, uh, yeah, it felt similar to and this was something I recently unpacked, but I've described what it feels like when I'm socially anxious is that everyone's looking at me through the fisheye lens, you know, like I'm down on the floor and everybody's like, like laughing at me and mocking me and looking at me like, what the fuck are you doing here? Why are you here right now? And it took me a long time to realize that that's the anxiety making things look different than they actually are. It's very difficult when you're in that to feel like, am I, what's real right now? And sometimes when I'm on stage, that wants to kick in and it's rough and it's taken a lot for me to be like, that's probably not what's happening right now. But if I get the slightest indicator that somebody's mad at me or doesn't like me, it's a fucking nightmare. And, um, yeah, using you as the, the primary, uh, example, other things that I figured out is the codependency didn't go away, but it was so empowering just to find out that it's a thing. Observing it has been a, is the phase I'm currently in. My theory is that after I've observed it long enough, it will become something that is a more abstract piece of myself. And when I think back to when I quit doing meth and quit smoking cigarettes, I did just quit them. Meth doesn't really count. But when I quit smoking cigarettes, because <laughs> well, meth was just kind of like not an option. So I don't remember craving it at all. But when I quit smoking cigarettes, I remember watching the cravings and just being like, oh, okay, this is what it feels like to want a cigarette right now. But I just don't smoke a cigarette and then I'm fine. And then the next day it was because it's a screaming when you need a cigarette. But I remember just watching it and being like, this is the craving of a cigarette which is similar to how I deal with pain, like in, you know, this is pain. This is pain. If it was a color, it would be blue. If it was a, you know, just observing it. And so I've kind of been doing that with codependency. When we saw each other in Boise, it got, it got super activated. And I listened to it just, just yelling and trying to control the situation. And I, um, Ended up like asking you, do you like, or I just thought maybe we would get back together one day. And 
I didn't try to manipulate you. I didn't try to convince you. I didn't lose my mind. I just, like I said it in plain words and then just watched the rest of the thing from trying to stay in like a, a, a third person and just watched my thoughts and my feelings and the sensation of being an animal trapped in a cage. And then I got home and typically when we have been together and then we separate, I'm way up your ass because the separation is traumatic for the codependency. And I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I messaged you for like 20, like you messaged me after a couple days, but like, I just didn't, I didn't message you. And I just kind of dealt with it the way that the kitties dealt with the chair is going to be empty. It was just like, this is just going to hurt. It's going to hurt when you guys separate and it's okay. And I had more breakup stuff to deal with, but I just, I just don't act. I don't act. And that was a problem was the impulse control. When I would be activated, I would feel like whatever the fucking trip was, I needed to deal with it right then. And I have object permanence issues. I have, I experienced time weird. So if something's been out of my life for a couple of days, it feels like it's never coming back. And if something feels good, it feels like it's going to feel good forever. If something feels bad, it feels like it's going to be bad forever. And I, I had a really hard time that with that, with our relationship is that when you were distant, it just felt like you were going to be distant forever. It felt like this was a, a corner we had turned and you were never coming back. And I was something I'd worked on quite a bit. But now understanding codependency was a lot easier to work on. And rather than being like, he'll be back, I just worked on like, he might never come back. This might be the new normal. He might not want to talk to you anymore. He might not want to be your friend anymore. It's okay. Like, you're going to be okay by yourself. And um, it did start to get abstract. I've really been tripping on the correlation between Aubrey Plaza and the codependency, they feel like two separate things, but like Aubrey Plaza shows up to take the edge off the codependency. The codependency is just like a pain and it feels like a, a child. It feels like a child's pain. And Aubrey Plaza shows up with game plans for how we're going to get out of it. And it's usually like she wants to hurt somebody. She wants to invade your boundaries. She wants to make it your problem. She wants to say something mean. She wants to do whatever it's going to take to like change this. And in the four pages of the IFS book that I read, <laughs> you have protectors, managers, and exiles. And the managers are like who runs the show most of the time. But then you have these one firefighters or something, these one kind of managers who usually will fuck things up. But they are way determined that the exile doesn't flood the system. And so I feel like the codependency floods the system and then I would act out under the influence of Aubrey Plaza, who I'd been long aware of. I wonder if she's ever going to find out that I talk about her like this. Um, <laughs> so, I, uh, yeah. I don't feel like I, I never thought of Aubrey Plaza as the one who was invading boundaries or pushing. Uh, Aubrey Plaza is just a cold bitch who says really mean and hurtful things. Aubrey Plaza was like every like work conversation that we ever had, uh, like shitty work conversation. Quote unquote work conversation. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, okay. I thought Ari Plaza was just like, 
I'm thinking of like two really mean like instances, you know. Like yeah. that's what I think of when you say Aubrey Plaza. But Aubrey Plaza, I didn't know she was doing this other stuff. As a very dominant voice in my head, where if I'm in pain, I don't know. I don't know who it is that tells me that you're never going to talk to me again. But that voice feels very mean to like towards me. You know, like you've fucked this up. Uh, he hates you. You're awful. He's done like whatever. And then Aubrey Plaza, it's always somebody else's fault, you know. So Aubrey Plaza's like, fuck this dude. He, you know. Like, what did you say to me? If and we can, uh, we can cut this if you don't want it. But what when after you told me you were codependent and you said sorry for a bunch of stuff. I said, thank you for saying that. And then uh, you turned around and said something vicious to me. Mm-hmm. That, that's what oh, I th- that's what I think. No, of. I, we're leaving this in. OK, this is a perfect fucking example. You told like you said stuff that I uh, was very happy to hear. This was when you say I tried on I tried on this hat for a while that it was your fault. You were saying you were talking to me about how this was all my. You were yeah. you were uh, you were telling me all these things were my fault, and you were saying lots of stuff. And then one, and I was just like, okay, 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 okay. And I was just taking it because that is also what I do. I'm really good at, at just being like, yeah, sure, everything's my fault. Yeah, why not? And then you one day you're like, hey, I found out I'm codependent, <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> Of course you are. And you're like, you took you took responsibility for different things. And you said sorry for a bunch of different things. And that meant a lot to me. Uh, but, like, I, did, I wasn't exactly sure how to respond. I didn't want to get into a whole thing. I was trying not to talk to you. Like, it's all very triggering for me. But, like, I don't want to say the wrong thing, whatever. And I, I thought, I spent a lot of time thinking about what to say. And I thought, just just keep it nice and pleasant and like let her know she's doing a good job or something. And I said, thank you for saying that. That that means a lot to me or something like that. And then uh, uh, like right after that, you uh, Aubrey Plaza. No, was this was vicious. a common denominator. This is a common theme with us where I would be like, I feel like we need to break up or I would be thinking that already. But then the second you would agree with it, this is where you can't win because I ended up telling you all of the things that you did that I thought you did wrong for a minute because I was mad at you for being sad in the breakup. In my head, you had, we'll probably delete this part, but in my head, you had flaunted how much you wouldn't care when we broke up. I, in my codependent mind, I felt like you were constant. In my head, it was like you were constantly telling me that I wasn't, you didn't love me like that and that you would be fine if we broke up. I felt like we had a million conversations where I was like, it wouldn't make you sad if we broke up. You don't care if you lose me. And uh, I felt like you were always like, nah, I'll be out partying. I'll be fine. And so uh, when I'll be throwing huge uh, shindigs, I'll be out dancing the jitterbug right off into the sunset. So when I put myself back together like a month into the, breakup just because I hadn't gotten further into it I felt like I wanted the breakup to be completely on my terms because in my head I was like well this was going to be my mourning period and you were going to be fine and we'd had a breakup before where you were like fine and so I wanted it to be mine and then when you were sad very similar to other Aubrey Plaza things I was like 
No, you don't get to have it all. You don't get to not want me and then also be more sad than me during the breakup. And then, then the truth that I was not actually okay. I never said I was more sad than you, by the way. I think I always said, like, I, yeah, I tried not to talk to you about being sad because I felt like, yeah, you, you were like, you deserved, I, I agree. I was like, yeah, you deserve this or whatever, but it's just. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I just, I wanted to talk or something and uh, it it's comes down to rejection again. Like you didn't want to talk and you're like, I'm happy for you that you're over the breakup. I'm not over the breakup. And I was like, oh, this motherfucker doesn't get to be, but this is all very Aubrey Plaza. So I uh, text you stuff about codependency. I message you about that you uh, probably do know what love is and you never loved me and that you did love the people that you believe that you loved. And which is like a fine revelation for me to come up with by myself. And, but then to hear you say anything agreeing with it was just crushing. I couldn't deal with it. It was very similar to when I would be like, "Mm, we probably need to break up. And then when you would be like, we need to break up, I couldn't deal with it because then we're back to abandonment. And you said, thank you. And then the pressure built up and then he's laughing at you. He is just mocking you right now. He is so, he's going to have the best code. Cause you told me you were having a great day. He's like, yeah, you're having a, he's having a great day. Cause he's probably calling all his friends and telling him about how everything was your fault. And that you're <laughs> such a, like, it's insane. It's the paranoia is insane. Um, and then I said, do you agree with that or something? And then you said it was just nice to hear and it was nice to hear you say it or something you didn't say anything wrong and then I this was the first time that I I had enough of a moment I had enough of a moment in between the impulse I could hear the conversation for the first time where I was like oh he's not getting completely off the hook uh he's not gonna laugh at me and so I start typing out a response and there's an actual debate in my head this time where typically I fire shit off so fast that I don't even think about it and I thought don't do this you will regret this this is you're gonna ruin his day at the bare fucking minimum he just said he's finally having a good day you're going to regret this and I couldn't the pressure was so intense that I sent it and before you even read it I regretted it and great opportunity to just jump on the phone and call you and say don't read that text I was completely out of line I didn't fucking mean it and I don't and then you said well thanks for ruining it and then I think I called you after that or I might have typed a fucking defense but yeah I think we got on the phone after that and then we had a very difficult emotional conversation and I start crying during that conversation and I just admit that if all of this stuff is true, why would you be my friend anymore? And that's the conversation where you said, oh, I knew this stuff was like, I've known this stuff was true. This isn't like news. It's just great to hear you say it. And... um I just don't ever want to feel that way again. I don't ever want to do that again. I don't want to be, I don't want to live in the regret of having said something awful to push you away, to make you feel like shit. And, um, 
it's hard because when I'm doing it, I feel like I'm standing up for myself. I feel so fucking oppressed and mocked and I feel like I'm standing up for myself. Are you looking for it? I I, found, I, I looked it up because <laughs> I'm a masochist, I guess. Uh, it's really because... Oh, you the, wanted the what I the way I worded it. I wanted to see what, what you said uh, to... To everything, um, dude. I said I'd really like to hug you too. I was like, you said you said sorry, and I was like, I'd really like to hug you. Thanks for saying it. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the message. And then you were like, is that something you've been waiting for me to say? <laughs> I said, it's, it's nice to hear. <laughs> uh, and then. Uh, you like the ne- it's like the next day it's like the next morning you said uh the next morning uh really i sent you something yeah it's like the next day it's the next morning uh i say how are you doing i start i start off the i start off the morning reaching out to you how are you doing good you and i'm like i'm actually better than i've been in a while having oh, a good morning was, after yeah. long sleep and actually being a little productive and social uh and I was worried all last night you were mad at me, though. Were you? You said, no, I was driving. I was like, okay, that's what I kept telling myself, but I woke up in the middle of the night panicked about it. Ha ha. Uh, you, say, uh, you say a couple of things. I say, I can't wait to record podcasts with you. And you say, God. you think you feel better because of what I said? And I was like, well, not to minimize the month I, I spent working on making myself feel better. Yeah, that definitely helped. And then you fired off four text messages. <laughs> Whoa, great. Blah, blah, boom, boom, boom. And then you said, uh, uh, but what's really funny <laughs> is that it doesn't show that we had a phone call afterwards. It's just the next text is just me uh, pouring sweet things onto you. So <laughs> you just look terrible. <laughs> You just like, I was like, wow, thanks for ruining it. And then my next te- text is like, I really, really love you. You're doing so great. Everyone loves you and no one's going to stop. What's going to change is you're going to love yourself more. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Tight. Remember when I was like, let's do a fun podcast. <laughs> this is fun. Come on. We're having, we're all having fun. We're all having fun. Um, But how, how did, yeah. <laughs> so we got on the phone and, and hashed it all out. But. Yeah, the Aubrey Plaza, man. She's a cunt. So, Adventures with Aubrey. We got back from Boise, and I was having a hard time. And I felt like in Boise, I figured out that you had moved on, and I felt really dumb for not moving on. I felt like... Oh, did I take off a year to work on myself? Because a year is a really long time for me. Did I take off a year to work on myself? Or did I take off a year because I have some fantasy in the back of my head that if we had a year to work on ourselves, we would find our way back to each other. Um, And then I'm just going to sit here passively and get my ass handed to me when he moves on with somebody else. And... um, I didn't make any of that your problem. I just, I, I didn't talk to you very much and I worked on shit by myself and I was so happy before I got to Utah. Like I was having a really happy like couple of weeks. I'd 
kind of found a stride and and was really happy on my own and then I got I got utterly knocked off my square in Boise and I was super codependently activated. I felt like I felt like a, a relapse. Like I felt like it was back and a lot of the compulsion came back and I didn't I chose not to look at it like that because I, I see a lot of people, they make progress and then they kind of have like a relapse of the symptoms. Like they get like a 5d download, they have a revelation of some sort. And then there's usually like, it comes back a few times so that you can integrate it. And so I was like, okay, this is just me integrating. And I've learned so much. And I used to not be, there was a fear of telling you when I realized I had done something wrong because it always felt like, if I came back and apologized to you, which is the opposite of how you operate. But if I came back, like if I felt what like, what is, I, I felt like, don't tell him that because he'll never forgive you. Like, don't tell him that he won't like, like he probably hasn't noticed this thing that you just realized that you did wrong. And if you bring it up, he won't like you. So there was a no, lot. No, that is the, I, yeah. I feel like I know everything and I keep it to myself and I'm like, I guess I'll just have to wait for her to figure it out. And then, uh, yeah. So I, um, <coughs> Jesus Christ. I, I thought you were just sniffing out a ghost. <laughs> well, you you know you look- have to look at a light to get a sneeze out? Oh. You didn't know that? If I think I've up, I think I've heard stuff like that. If I you think look I just, up or at a light, I'm just good at sneezing. But you, the way you were like holding your hand and looking around suspiciously, I feel like you had caught a whiff of something. You were like, "I'm gonna locate this." I like how earlier there was a hair in the air, and I grabbed it, and you thought I was swiping your energy or something. I guess I've gone full five D. Snatch, snatch souls out here. So, okay, so last week, I feel like a bunch of this is gonna get cut. It's the the go dumb ahead. shit go ahead last week there's been a lot of stuff but i've learned to just be someone who's sad a lot and stop trying to fix it and just accept it as i do i don't believe it's a permanent state of being but i stopped trying to fix it and i stopped putting pressure on myself to be out of it and i stopped trying to feel differently about you and rather just tried to like see things differently and have a different perception. And there were a lot of things that I learned about how I loved you that were very conditional. And that if I really, really loved you, like I think I love you, I, it it wouldn't be contingent on how you feel about me. And it wouldn't, I would be happy for you if you moved on. And I would be happy for you if you found someone else and I wouldn't line these people up against myself. And I like, so I grew in a lot of that and that is all outside of codependency, right? So I'm just like opening my hand and codependency now feels like a, an annoying friend that comes over to my house and takes up space. And it doesn't, it's not constant like it used to be. It just shows up sometimes. So last week, I think you were, you were having a a bad week and I, prior to that week was preoccupied with moving on I just need to move on and make it obvious that I've moved on because it's pathetic that I haven't moved on and and then you went into a rough week and I could tell from social media that you were having a rough week but you weren't sharing it with me at all and this is something that you've always told me everything 
and especially when you were sad and stuff like I you know we talked about stuff and I, now I know there's all these things happening and I'm been really good about not asking you to talk about things that you haven't offered up and I was super sad that you weren't talking to me and then here comes the 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 critical companion and codependency and and Aubrey and they're like he's never this is it this is the new normal he's never going to talk to you again about anything he doesn't like you if you didn't have a podcast he would not talk to you ever and you know there's one voice that's saying that it's my fault there's another voice that's saying that you hate me and then the codependency just starts to flood the system and now I feel I already don't feel great ever but now I feel awful I feel awful and I'm anxious and I don't like I have to do readings I don't want to do readings I just like I'm like keep going outside I'm like trying to meditate I'm trying to listen to music nothing's helping and the overwhelming need to take action is just it feels like a thousand alarms inside of me and I just never resisted this part with you I would get anxious and then I would make it your problem I would either pressure you into talking to me I would ask leading questions I would get mad I would make it about work I would hit you up about something to do with work and then if you didn't immediately respond you know I I I have analyzed and recognized all this behavior and I refuse to participate in it anymore and if that means that I have to spend uh 12 hours in an anxiety attack to get through it so be it so I just watched it I just watched it and listened to it and took no action and by the end of the day I realized that I was tuned in to how sad you were and you know I have we have a tendency to feel each other's energy. Yeah. And that's a sometimes really cool, sometimes uh, not cool feature of whatever this connection is. And I realized that, because at this point it's just that you're not talking to me, right? And I realized that kind of what I'm tuned into, the underlying anxiety and sadness that I'm feeling is your anxiety and sadness. And how much of these thoughts were about myself and were about you in relation to me and how you make me feel and where I'm at and where I'm shut out and you're not talking to me. And I thought about how many times I gave in to these voices and I gave in to these feelings and how many times was the in initial sensation me picking up on your sadness and anxiety and then I made it about myself. And then I piled on. I came at you when you already felt fucked up and made your anxiety and your sadness your problem again because of how it was making me feel. Because you weren't meeting, like letting me be a part of it, or what? I don't, I don't fucking know. And I like, I felt very guilty and ashamed, and was like, I fuck, man, fuck what a very conditional uh love i gave in this dynamic and the the bliss that came from not fucking with you though like the bliss that came from just like sitting in my own feelings and not 
adding to your problems just the fucking like like no reward you know that it doesn't uh I don't get anything from him but I get to know that like I really loved him like today I just showed him real love by leaving him the fuck alone and I didn't get anything out of it but I didn't hurt him. I didn't do anything wrong. I just dealt with my own feelings. And, um, uh, and maybe also beat, I doubt I beat it, but like the next time that codependency shows up and Aubrey Plaza shows up and the fucking critical companions show up and they start their narrative and those feelings, I can be like, no, no, no. I can remember what it felt like to have fired off that text and ruined your day. And then I can remember what it felt like to wake up the morning after that awful day and know that I didn't, I didn't contribute to your pain. I didn't contribute to your sadness. I didn't make my shit your problem. I didn't make your shit about me. I just did the right thing and how great it felt the next morning to know like I did the right thing and I think codependency gets smaller. I don't know. Just being around you the last whatever, I'm not fucking challenging anything, but I don't feel the way I usually feel. I usually feel obsessed and awful by now. I usually am paranoid about every fucking thing I say and I'm usually just codependency has me and on the last trip it had me but I just remember I just kept going for walks and stuff and I just like held my shit together but I felt it and I don't feel it I'm just like this is fun this is great we're here this is fun and then it's it's nothing it's it doesn't it I, I don't have to figure it out I don't have to analyze it I don't have to secure anything I'm safe I've been safe this entire time I don't have to make any of this. I don't know. I think that's how you get free. I think you figure out what the problem is and then you watch it do its thing. You don't put pressure on yourself to be better the next day. You have to watch it for a while and watch how it operates and what its mechanisms are, what its voice sounds like. But I can't imagine losing that battle again. I guess we'll see. But I feel like I know exactly who Aubrey Plaza is. I think that I've like bought into these lies of my defense mechanisms enough. I think I've 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 seen enough proof that under the influence of codependency I perceive reality to be when I listened to that podcast I was like, "Oh my god, what the fuck?" There was no, there was nothing that I remembered. It was just a sensation because I was like, what was he a dick about? I felt like you <laughs> were like, oh, really? Oh, I felt like you were my, I, like, I remember thinking, I can't release this. The fans are going to think he's a huge dick. Like, he's so mean to me in this. And when, then when I listened to it, I was like, oh, my God. I wonder how many episodes we threw away because I just, like, lost my shit. So... Well, good job. Thanks. Good job. Good job. Everybody loves you. Nobody's going to stop. The only difference is you're going to love yourself more. All that kind of stuff.
why don't you close out the episode for us? Anything? Close that beautiful bean footage. <laughs> Follow us on. Well, we have a Mormon in the Meth Head Instagram page, but I think it's at Telestial Tweakers. Mm-hmm. I think you, you can just search Mormon in the Meth Head and you yeah. find it. Aaron is at Aaron Space Museum Aaron with Space a Z. Museum. I'm Jessa Reed Comedy on Instagram and Twitter. Please follow um, me on Instagram so that I can start posting the swipe up things. I'm very close to being able to do that. You're very close. Mm, I got like 800 more followers I need. Oh yeah, how many followers do you have on your account? I have to. Have, you have to have 10,000. I have like 9,100. How come Mormon and the Method only got like 2,000? I don't 000? know. Yeah, actually, yeah. You guys follow Mormon and the Method. I think if we make it a business account, maybe. We'll I already did make. Uh, oh. I mean, I like took some step and now like, I don't know if you, anyway, it doesn't matter. There's follow been both. some changes to our Instagram and whatever. Uh, I'm tr- I'm getting better at Twitter. I've got, I think I've got pretty solid tweets these days. I'm at Aaron Woodall 14, uh, and you guys can tell me what my new handle should be or something. And uh, we've got lots of good shit on our Patreon if you want to go there. And uh, remember to mention Mormon and the Method when you book readings with Jessa. <laughs> uh, but uh, we'll catch you guys next week on Mormon and the Method. If you put a Mormon and a Method together, this is what they sound like. Aaron Woodall and Jessa Reed are friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. Podcast Network.